Hi, gentlemen. Thanks very much for coming into my office here. I really appreciate you taking the time. How how was the uh, how was the receptionist? Was she nice to you guys? I don't know, man. She just gave us like a bottle of water to share between the two of us. Yeah, it was kind of weak, man. Look, the brand is strong right now. <laughs> oh my! Let me tell you. Let me tell you something about about our reception. She's she's one sass ball, I tell you. Anyways, 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 boys. I I brought you in for a reason here. You you saw the contract, yeah? Did you see the contract? Yeah. Yes. Uh, well, I, wait, what'd you what'd you think? Just tell tell me what straight up. I mean, look, SoundCloud wants you guys. We're the contract. Okay. Uh, well, look. In short, the contract is another six more episodes. We pay uh, forty cents. You know, we censor anything we don't like, and end a story. I mean, what more could you ask for? Hey. uh... Let me tell you something, uh, Mr. Uh, old Ass Baby, because you uh, look uh, like... Reginald? Reg- my, na- my name's Reginald, thanks. Reginald? Uh, okay, because you look like a, a gorgeous old ass baby. You look 60, but you kind of look like a baby. Yeah, you well. look like someone barfed baby corn on your head, bro. Oh, man. you. T- this guy, I can't even look you in the eye because it's hurting me, and I don't want it to infect my corneas. Um, so please... Look, uh, what did you say? Forty cents per an episode? Uh, t- uh, t- uh twenty cents. Uh, okay, 20 cents, okay. Yeah. Uh, so what I can say is, fuck you and your family. First, um, second is, uh, where are the treats? Okay, I don't, I don't enter any meetings without snacks on deck. Yeah, what kind of new wave twenty seventeen offices? Y'all don't even have fucking beanbag chairs, man. What kind of chair am I sitting? This is not even. This is not even authentic wood. This ain't even ergonomic, B. Is it ergonomic? What is? Is it ergonomic? No, no. This is not ergonomic, Navek. My back is up straight. I need curves, B. In 2017, this is my this is my list of demands: ergonomic chairs, fresh snacks, big tables. I want to be, I want to be surrounded by a table. All right. I want. Fresh pair of Dickies on oh, wow. deck. I, I I could probably do Dickies. I mean, uh, there are a couple guys at Walmart. I I could probably get you Dickies. I need six pairs of Dickies. Uh, I can do four, maybe. A fresh pack of white teas, fifteen thousand per episode per myself and Chris. Yeah. Uber ride from our homes to the studio. Even uh, though, well, I got a bike, so. I'm good. Even though the studio's in Chris's basement, he needs to be picked up by an Uber, driven around the block, then parked right into his garage, drop him off, and then we record. All right? And then we need six appearances by Tyrese Gibson. All right? What What about you? Uh, what do I want? Uh, I want... Uh, I just want to start this episode. Do you, what episode do you want to start? Episode 17, High Top Flip Flops. Let's start the pot. Let's go. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to episode 16. Actually. 16. <laughs> wow. We did all these episodes for the free. Yeah, exactly. And uh, this is actually not episode 17. Episode 17 will probably come in two weeks' time. Uh, but either way, I want to start episode 17. I want to start episode 18. I want to start episode 19. I want to start episode 20 and then break free this imaginary contract we made with SoundCloud today. Uh, yeah, we want to actually sign contracts in the future. So please, whether you want to sponsor us and provide us one drink per episode of whatever beverage, please do it. We have zero money anymore. I have about 62 cents in my savings account. 
Living large. Um, also, overdraft in my checking account. You think this is a lie, but this is a reality. This is real life, man. Why don't you go tell them, uh, tell them who you are. Tell them, tell them what kind of truth you're spitting today, man. Oh, uh, I just need to introduce myself real quick. Yeah, you should probably, um, you should probably do that. It's, it's Nivek, a.k.a. Nivape, a.k.a. Aziz Bansari, a.k.a. Uh, Mr. Run Up to Your Girl, Say Hello, Then Run Away, a.k.a. Mr. I Can Be Your Tutor in Spanglish, a.k.a. Uh, the Tamil Tyrese, a.k.a. Lover of the Streets. And yourself? Uh, you already know it's Krish, aka Chris, aka not Chris. Get that shit right. There's an H at the end. Aka Mr. Use Big Words when he don't know what they are. Aka Mr. I don't know. Mr. I ain't got time for peasants. Oof, that's kind Ignor- of- ignorant peasants, you know? These kids in the streets making me real mad. That's kind of real. But that's why we brought in a very special guest with us this week to drop some knowledge, you know, for these kids who don't really know what they're talking about, for these kids who don't really know about the bigger picture of this world. We got Abdullah with us today. How are you, Sam? I'm good. I came on the podcast because one of my friends listened to it, expecting it to be horrible, and said, hey, there's good guys that are actually good. So I think you're, you're mistaken if you expect knowledge, though. I just came to shoot the shit. Oh, okay. So. You know what? That's fine because because uh, <laughs> yeah. I feel like most of what you have to say is, is valuable one way or another. So thank you very much for, no problem. for joining us today. Also, real quick, I just need to shout out all the viewers all the yeah. listeners, you know, for sticking with, for, you know, they spending an hour. They got a name. They floppers, oh, the, man. Shout out to all the floppers. <laughs> um, to all the haters that hate on us for being wildly successful, you know, in these streets, <laughs> getting getting these listens, getting these uh, future endorsements, you know. If, you, if you're hating, <laughs> take a seat. As as the great, iconic Christopher or Bristopher Brown once said, <laughs> Why are you hating on the inside? Get that when you can't even get inside the club. Yes, he's done numerous uh, crimes and is probably the worst person ever. Uh, but you know what? This is one. This is one. You know, this one moment of truth, right there. Mm-hmm. And uh, he did make a lot of songs to crump to. Fair. We'll give him that. So yeah, big ups to him. Chris Brown was a very successful 15 year old, and then he was just a very terrible 17 year old onwards. Yeah, so... Yeah. The sad life of a visionary. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I have to say that listening is good, but listening is also cheap. You have to get them... You should start a Patreon and get your people to put their money where their ears are, mm. I guess. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How do you think we could do that? Uh, go to patreon.com. <laughs> <laughs> and so, start a Patreon, I yeah. guess. Yeah. Or you can wheel, we're now doing e-transfers <laughs> directly yeah. to our emails. Krishna Chris at gmail.com and what your email? It's nivekahotmail.com. <laughs> yeah, uh, all uh, proceeds will go towards uh, Nivek's student debt and will go towards my uh, Reese's Pieces cereal addiction. That's a reasonable addiction because yeah. they're delicious. Yes, yeah, super delicious. Serial okay. crisis. Yeah. <laughs> so please, minimum $25, because <laughs> stop being a broke boy. <laughs> All right? This is, we're, we're real talk here. That's right. Um, um, but yes, seriously, thank you to uh, anyone who's listening. I haven't encountered any haters. Have you encountered any haters? Have you encountered any criticism of the show? I mean, I mean, constructive or not, you know? Have you, have you encountered any? 
no. I, some people actually said we need you to be more raw, to Whoa. be more aggressive, Whoa. to shout out Scarborough and McCown and Finch more, more than we already do. We already do enough for that uh, wow. intersection, but they wanted more. Yeah. yeah. How about yourself? Um, truthfully, I haven't, which um, you know has me weary a little bit. I'm like, oh, you know what? Are people maybe just not not you know listening with uh with intent or you know maybe they're just here for the last but they don't want to hear the the real talk uh but who knows maybe you know maybe now that we made a facebook page go like us on facebook high top flip-flops uh maybe they'll come maybe you know you could share something on our wall we made a curious cat page where you can now ask or share something with us anonymously uh so you know feel free we got the link up on our facebook uh, we'll share it on twitter and stuff too uh, yeah, maybe you, you got something that you want to hear us talk about on the podcast. Maybe you got a question for us. You know, Navik and I are, uh, you know, we've been around the block. We know a thing or two about a thing or two. Um, you know, you're deciding whether you want to study for that social exam or go to union. The answer is to study for that social exam. But, you know, we're still happy to answer that for you real time. But also, we're, depending on what your grade is before the exam... Because you know I'm always calculating what my mark is. If you use and that, that Guelph University grade calculator, right? That's what, that's what I use. That's, oh, for real? Yeah, on occasion. On a oh, few courses. That's cool. Like, if I'm at an 82 and then the exam's worth, like, 25%, I'm going to be like, no, I'm not going to study for it. I'm going to go to Union. <laughs> or I'm going to watch two seasons of Boy Meets World. <laughs> okay. Same thing for me. I got to clarify. What do you mean go to Union? What is Union? Oh, sorry. Union Station? So like union? The, the awful nightclub. Union. <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah. So the answer really is never go to Union. Mm. Oh, I've yeah. never been and I don't plan to, to ever go. Uh, just based on peer reviews. I try, mm. It's peer reviewed nightclub, you know? You can tell I get out a lot by yeah. that. Um, totally getting hey, that Hey, no, that, that's okay. You know what? I don't think there's, uh, there's anything wrong with that. Primarily because you spend your time doing far more interesting things or, or what I'd like to think anyways um, I'll preface this by saying that I went to high school with Abdullah uh, and this is where I learned not only about this guy being super friendly and a super great conversationalist um, but also someone who is willing to kind of to to push the boundaries of thought in, in a variety in a variety of topics you know um, but Above all, I think why I thought it would be great to have you come onto this podcast uh, is mainly is just your point of view. I think is is something that is is super fun to talk about. Um, uh, but before all that, I suppose I think it would be great for some of the listeners to learn a little bit about um, a little bit about you. You know, uh-huh. you you recently or you were just sharing with us a little bit about your your kind of time spent. Uh, your your youth years into your adult mm, years. Yeah. Um, also, is, were you born in the United States? Nah, I'm OG from Sri Lanka. Okay, so, okay. Um, <laughs> I was born in Colombo and only spent five months there. Okay. Uh, then I moved to uh, the whitest of the white places in the United States, Nebraska. Oh, my God. Um, which, uh, <laughs> not as racist as people would think, but they did vote for Trump. Right. Um, and then after... Um, after about eight years or so, I moved here uh, uh, to Canada. So I've been in Canada for about 16 years now, mm-hmm. and mainly in the GTA. Um, I went to the University of Toronto. I studied 
cell and molecular biology, which a lot of people are surprised that I studied science <laughs> because I rarely talk about science, but I actually do like science. Uh, and I did a minor in psychology and American studies. Um, and while at, at UFT, that's really where my, I guess, um, knowledge and uh, of activism and movements and all uh, social justice was sparked. Uh, I ended up spending four years at the Students' Union there, um, two years as president. Um, and then I graduated, and now I do uh, work. I write and I design on... I write around topics of race and social justice and, um, I guess, politics and society and a whole bunch of topics I'm hoping to write about pop culture too, but, right. you know, it's hard. It's a hard life. Right. It's a hard life being a writer. Yeah, um, And then um, I do designing for community groups. Um, occasionally I'll do design for uh, other groups like for profit ventures I once designed for a marketing company and that was a horrible experience so yeah. I've never yeah, yeah. Um, they, they they didn't know what they were doing and so it was but it was a startup and they didn't know what they were doing and um, so they I was kind of getting like wishy-washy instructions and the first the first time I worked with them it was great and I got paid and I was like that's good the second time I worked with them it was like the client from hell and uh they essentially they said like oh we want a rush job can you finish it for us and then when i finish it they're like oh can you actually change all of this stuff by the uh, next morning and i'm like no no fuck you no, i'm done so yeah. yeah uh so i i try to i don't really uh, do design for um for like i guess very very corporate places right. uh, I do design for usually for not for profit or you know places that can afford to pay um, but also like in that community um, realm uh, yeah so I graduated last year I, I'm, not, I'm not sure if I said that and um, you know just just living yeah. life yeah uh, what something that uh I've spoken about a little bit on the show is uh, the transition of you know being outside of uh, I guess a public school system or just a, being out of school for the first time in mm-hmm. 20 odd years of my life you know was there did you f- feel like a I don't know the very popular thing that people will bring up is existential crisis but did you did you find yourself feeling overwhelmed and kind of lost when you finished school or did you feel like you know even your work doing design and your writing work were things that you were still motivated by while you were finishing up school that you know something that was driving you to keep pursuing them no I had everything together and no, no, no. <laughs> I, I was like existential crisis is our best uh, I think everyone goes through them yeah. especially for me um, when you're kind of thrown in a situation uh, that you didn't expect that your, your path didn't go the way that you expected and so all of a sudden um, you know you spend a lot of just like mornings especially in the summer just in bed being like oh what am I gonna do yeah. um, but like I mean from that like struggle uh, I think you kind of figure figure things out and I'm you know I'm uh, I, I'm blessed that now have like employment so mm-hmm. um, and employment that allows me to explore my creative avenues a lot better yeah. um, and so I've been uh, one thing that I found is uh you know, perhaps a year ago or two years ago, I would I would have seen a year off um, as sort of a waste of time just because 
you know, you think a year off, I might as well be doing like school or something. Um, but in retrospect, uh, it's it was good that I had to you know go through this year, and which is going to be probably two years now, um, just to explore, just to go through this growth and development as a person, um, and like really grow my you know push, yeah explore my writing yeah. and, and other sort of avenues. So now I'm looking into, whereas before I was a, I'm still, I'm primarily a nonfiction writer and I write pieces that I've been writing this month. Um, but I've also, you know, explored non like fiction writing and short stories and uh, entering a lot of possibilities. So I think the freedom of a year off, it's, it's definitely frustrating and sh- there's a lot of struggle from it. But I think from that struggle comes a lot of, uh, uh, untapped outlets of creativity that you you just kind of you know pushed to the you didn't have the time to explore really because of like the grind of school and such. Um, so yeah, I think uh, it, it always goes through a period of you try to figure it's, you're like sad and like uh, you spend time in bed and then you kind of just like slowly figure stuff out and it's a long process it's still a long process mm-hmm. and it's still very frustrating you'll have days where like you have things figured out and then days where you don't have things figured out but I think especially you know in brown communities people are used to a very um, like an equation like path of life exactly. right so it's like it's like a I'm, you go to this phase and then you go to this phase and then you're like so I'm gonna I'm gonna study science in university in high school go to university to pre-med become a doctor make a lot of money die um, mm, that, right? death, that death part sounds beautiful <laughs> yeah. that's, that's it and so I think you know life does not work like that and, and I mean it can't if you're very if look if you want to be a very successful doctor and that's what you want in life um, go for it but I think a lot of what you what tends to be sacrificed in that is people have a desire for stability and creativity doesn't come out of stability creativity and you know um, innovation always comes out of periods of uncertainty and struggle and this is uh, always if you look at you know this is why, like, whenever I'm, de- when I'm depressed, I go and look at, like, famous people's Wikipedia page and then look at them where, where they were at my age. I'm like, okay, they were working at, they were, like, work- like working at a gap at this time. So I'm good. I'm good. Um, but then you also, you also look at, like, other people and they're like, oh, they had, like, a book deal by this thing. And you're like, ah. But anyways, I think, you know, it, it, it comes out of that struggle. And I think young people who, you know, aspire to be... Uh, creative um or are thrown you know a curveball young people look I'm, I'm talking as if i'm like 50 <laughs> but um I, and have made it no uh, um i think when people are thrown that curveball it uh it definitely is scary and it definitely is intimidating but it's something that you know we should you should embrace because from that comes a lot of things that you may not have have thought about um and that's not to say that you can't still pursue, you know, avenues, traditional career avenues, but rather that um, you are now not just limited to that. Because life um, is more than just making money, right? Life is more than just uh, others, um, like, uh, life is more than just others looking at you and saying, well, this person's a successful person, this person has the car and the money and stuff. Um, you want to make sure that you're satisfied with what you're doing and what you're producing. And the great thing about creating is it crea- uh, 
the great thing about creating something and being creative is you can actually leave something tangible behind yeah. um, that people will remember you by, whether it's whatever that may be. Uh, whereas, you know, if your your only aspiration in life is to make money, when you die, your money you don't get buried with your money. Yeah. I mean, you could like the Egyptians, but yeah. um, you can also you know write your checking account. Yeah, I, you can cause a lot of inheritance <laughs> fights and yeah. stuff. But like, I mean, that 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 ultimately is what what money is. Yeah. Um, that's not to say. I, that's not to say that I don't want to make money. Like, he doesn't I'm not making zero money. Anybody who hires him, do not pay him anything. Yeah. Just pay him with hugs. And, and what's your favorite candy bar? Hmm? Candy bar? Yeah. I was Coffee Crisp, but then I started boycotting Nestle. Wait, yeah. why? Uh, Nestle, uh, in, especially in Guelph, has been. Uh, well, Nestle is a horrible, shitty company in general, mo- like most companies, but we, we can only pick and choose some. Uh, so I've chosen Nestle because they're the largest, and they, uh, for example, things on Nestle's record is uh, suing Ethiopia during a famine they had in 2002. One. Um, another thing is uh, they are draining, they outbidded a municipal city in Ontario yep. for their own water supply <laughs> so <laughs> because they want to sell that pure life yeah. that good pure life stuff mm-hmm. um, and so Nessie uh, what I found was uh, I used to love coffee crisps but now also I found that the dollar store has this like random brand from like Europe that tastes Ooh. just as good oh, really? and doesn't cost less yeah. and doesn't uh well, I used to buy my coffee crisp from the dollar store anyway right. because I'm not paying a dollar thirty for a chocolate bar. Um, but I found that uh, so th- thank God, first of all, that I found that those chocolate bars. But also, it, it's hard at the beginning. You can't be like, oh, I want Kit Kat, I want Nestle, uh, I want um, coffee crisp. And about you know three months in, I was like, yeah, I've avoided those things. I'm doing pretty well. And then I realized that. Then I'm like, wait. Our Perry and San Pellegrino Nestle. Yeah. And they looked it up. I'm like, fuck. Yeah. Like, I have to give those up too. Um, but once you just, you know, you, people, it's actually surprisingly easy to to do a boycott and yeah. to get some stop purchasing a good that you were really, really used to. Yeah. Because once you just, you know, start not doing it after a while, then yeah. you don't think about it afterwards. Yeah. Um, yeah so th- we segue from chocolate chocolate bar to uh, international <laughs> no, sorry, boycotts. Sorry. Uh, Pay Abdullah in hugs and, and candy bar. And candy no, no coffee crisps. <laughs> no coffee crisps. Can you shout out the the other brand? The European that's not brand? coffee crisps. Uh, I think it's called Pyramid or something. It's like a. It's, it comes in like a like a like a package of like five for a dollar fifty. So that's like thirty this cents a bar. Yeah, exactly. So go clear out your dollar store. Uh, Thing. <laughs> we gotta get them to sponsor us. Yeah. They might. I prefer that sponsorship. Yeah, because yeah. uh, we've tried. We want Campbell's. Dollarama is an undervalued store. It it is an amazing store. They have everything. It's people <laughs> people do not take the time to appreciate Dollarama. Like the Dollarama has to be appreciated like a store like IKEA. It needs all the aisles need to be explored to yeah. find hidden gems. <laughs> have you ever purchased milk from Dollarama? No, hell no. Okay. <laughs> um, I mean, they wouldn't like. I have some stand. But like they, 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 I've never actually like I've seen people buy bread from Dollarama, and I don't judge. But I'm also like you're buying bread from Dollarama. <laughs> it's the same when it's the same price as the dollar store, like at the grocery store across the street. So, um, 
I haven't seen milk though. <laughs> I've never I, seen milk in the I've, store. I've seen bread, so I assume milk would be there. Because <laughs> I think you would need a like a dollar amount. They're like they're like breaking down the cost and everything, right? Which is why you can't use a credit card there, yeah. um, or why a whole bunch of they, they cut costs and things. So they would need like refrigerated units for milk. And right. Yeah. That's right. That probably doesn't they probably will cut into their profit margin yeah. it's a multi-billion dollar corporation yeah that's right mm. still only selling <laughs> your products worth a dollar it's man that's just hyper growth <laughs> that's just mm. economics man uh, <laughs> i don't know that's just <laughs> shout out economics real quick uh something that i really like i appreciate that you said was mm-hmm. what uh correct me if i'm wrong was creativity doesn't stem from stability yeah it and doesn't, yeah a lot of people in our community, you know, are really struggling. They're super talented, mm. but they're not getting that love that they feel that they should be getting. And sometimes, you know, you got to go through that hustle, that phase where, you know, that year, that two year, that three year, where you're not getting that appreciation mm-hmm. or that pay mm-hmm. or that following. But, you know, it it will come, you know, for sure through I, that. I think... Um, you know, pay for artists is definitely something that's uh, it's not done. Even yeah. my my writing, like I'm a freelance writer, but because I have a job, I can afford to not get angry when the pay is only like fifteen dollars or some or not at all, because yeah. um, exposure. But I think you know, um, when you're creative, it sucks, but uh, you find ways to to you know somehow eke a living uh, and um, you know make. Uh, put put out um, put out your product. I yeah. think I think the the biggest, um, especially for for brown people, the biggest um, concern isn't necessarily setting your own expectations, but dealing with the expectations of others. Um, I'm lucky enough to have uh, parents and a family that's very supportive, uh, mm. but also because I have a job that <laughs> that like <laughs> that pays well, and writing isn't like writing is. Um, is a the side thing of mine, mm-hmm. um, but uh, you know, there these things have worth, um, and they, they you don't necessarily you'll people can figure out ways to to pursue things that um, to do the things they love, um, while uh, in a way that's realistic for them. But it's important that uh, you know if you if you really like doing something that you shouldn't um, you know abandon it. Um, there's a I think there's a there's a heavy emphasis on like realism and like being realistic. Yeah. yeah. Realism is probably not the same as realistic. I just realized <laughs> it's probably some like art concept. <laughs> but um, there's a heavy emphasis on being realistic, especially in the society. Uh, I mean, not just in brown communities, but in the Western society where um, jobs are becoming harder to get, yeah. and everyone yet still wants to make you know. Why not? Like, everyone wants... Uh, there's expectations for everyone to be super successful and yeah. such. Um, and so in in that context, um, in that context, it can be hard to... Um, it can be hard to... to it can be easy to give up, essentially, right? It can be easy. People can say, I think Denzel Washington, uh, who was a great in Fences, if you haven't seen oh, Fences. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Fences. 
Have you watched it? Right? Yeah. yeah. Francis is great. Nice. Uh, I mean, Viola Davis was Oof. much better. But um, <laughs> but in he Denzel Washington gave a speech, I think, last year at the University of Pennsylvania, a commencement address, and he said, um, I, people talk about this concept of uh, having something to fall back on. I don't. He said, I don't understand that. You should always fall forward. And so that's not to say that people shouldn't have something to fall back on or like you know go to school for something else but it should it, 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 it's it is to say that people shouldn't abandon what they want to do right if they want to write if they want to make music if they want to you know like create art whatever um they even if they go for school for something traditional they shouldn't like you know stray away from it because there's also plenty of examples of people who are engineers and doctors and um lawyers who started out that way and then ended up being great screenwriters and ended up being great um authors and uh so there's definitely like a lot of unconventional and a room to to explore it's just um society doesn't really uh, tends to um you know doesn't really tend to like uplift that point of view no that's massive and i I think to to add on to what you're saying is uh i was just listening to my brother had a had a podcast of this guy named lewis howes i think on uh and uh i i actually couldn't make out who the guest was but he was saying something just along the lines of um how the kind of cliche of of like uh warriors or like champions being like fearless uh is just like absurd to him the idea of like someone championing something or like battling adversity and it being like a breeze is 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 so ridiculous because like as as you've kind of articulated here to face adversity without risk or without fear or without self-doubt which is probably by far like the ultimate demon amongst it all right oh yeah uh it's almost inevitable that you won't you won't be able to reach or, or fulfill that potential that you you want to to reach right risk is like for sure and i mean so creating big. i think creating something whether it's a piece of writing or a piece of artwork is an act of courage itself because yeah. you are putting something out there that you're not sure how for people to criticize essentially and yeah. for people to like you know react to and you're not sure how people will react and no one likes to to receive you know <laughs> uh bad um Bad, get some bad feedback yeah, or tough. just have people say well, this, this artwork is a piece of shit or this yeah. this what, what were you saying in this piece um but um and so i think a lot of people even before they start the process uh they are grabbed by a grippling fear of you know failure of what if people don't like what i write or what if i people don't like what i make um and the um I saw like a good advice on Twitter the other day. This is specifically for writing, but it could apply to any other, you know, um, creative venture. Is that a lot of people complain about writing block? Writing block is just you know you don't want to write, you don't want to go through the necessary process of writing crap, um, which you know no no one just William Shakespeare didn't like just what well, he could have. I don't know. Um, he uh, but he writers don't just eke out you know drafts that are just wonderful and thing and that's something i had to learn because 
you know, especially going into professional writing, uh, writing freelancing, you'll have an edit, like an editor, like like totally rip yeah. up your piece and then you have to make edit, edits and then they'll rip that up again and you'll, it'll go to like two, three drafts of edits um, before you can finally get that piece and it happened to a piece of mine and then I looked back and I was like, well, the, that piece, I can actually see the difference. Mm-hmm. Um, and you have to go through that process. You have to go through the process of, um, you know, being co- courageous enough to um, to get that, uh, being courageous enough to put something out. But also, being uh, confident enough to accept uh, criticism. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, and kind of what we were just saying while uh, while talking about getting feedback for this podcast is like, I mean, even if it's good or bad, like what yeah. your friend mentioned at the beginning, like, yeah, I mean, they could have listened to it and thought it was crap too, but you know, it's just more motivation to yeah. to keep getting better, right? And that would have been okay. Feels like yeah. this is crap. I would have been like, okay. We need to step it up. We need to figure out. Where we're lacking, we gotta double up. Yeah. Also, I wanna, I would want to know specifically why. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I wouldn't yeah, be cool. like, yo, why would you not like this? Where it's perfect. That's right. Yeah. You gotta understand that you gotta, and you gotta appreciate that. That you gotta have tough skin too. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, if for you, sure. If you're gonna put yourself out there like. That. Um, some of that, some of like, like what I just said, um, was actually so. Like, like I said, I got some of that from a Twitter. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, someone named Evie Eveling, who's a writer okay. and uh, a, I think a postdoctoral scholar, uh, something scholar at University of Chicago. Yeah. And then the other advice about being like courageous comes from Carly Rae Jepsen, and her <laughs> look into the actually watch in her, like actually watch um, how. She she talks about how the Emotion album was made. That album, she wrote 250 songs um, for that album, which is why it's such a masterpiece and which yeah. is why the B-side is, in my opinion, even better. Wow. Um, These are hot like, takes on Hot Top Plus Box right here. <laughs> this is a hot take. Um, but she, she, you know, says that she, um, especially after coming out with, um, with Call Me Maybe, um, she had to, you know, go and take a step back and then be like, okay, I want to make this album, uh, put a, put out a lot of, and she wrote a lot of songs and she, she said that she felt this need to prove herself because she didn't want to just be known as this poppy person who made uh, Call Me Maybe. Single, yeah. um, and so the thing that I, there's a quote that actually I find from a CBCQ interview that oh, I right. actually find so, so helpful that I revisit it every now and then right. is she says that, you know, she went into a session with, with the, all these like impressive writers and um, people who give feedback and she was so excited to show her their ideas, her ideas and be like, oh, this is my idea 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 and she says you have to you know you have to take a a step back and take your ego out of it and be able to you know take criticism from you know people you trust but take criticism nonetheless that um and know that they're there to help you produce a better piece of work and not necessarily like to shit on your ideas you should be confident in your ideas but you shouldn't necessarily be there to like show off you should be there to you know, right. make a better piece. Uh, all of that copyright, Carly yeah. <laughs> Jepsen. Um, but yeah, the inspiration can can come from the most, you know, uh, unexpected <laughs> places. Yeah, we got to talk about Carly Jepsen uh, because, yeah, as you just said, that's certainly an unexpected source of inspiration. Yeah. Where where did it start for you? Where was it? The hit song that had you hooked from the start, or was it? Afterwards, you're like, okay, this song is kind of funny. I should look into it. So I knew the first song. Um, yeah. Obviously, everyone knows the first yeah. song. But I mean, at that point, you the, the, most people dismissed her, including me as an artist. Yeah. Um, it wasn't until, like, I'd say 
midway, uh, probably months after Emotion was released. Right. Um, this is her full-length album. Yeah. Okay. Um, that I finally be like, hmm, okay, people are, all these reviews, like Pitchfork and everything, are saying that this is actually a really great album. <laughs> and, listen to it. and then it is a really great album. Um, and I that was only reaffirmed when the B-side came out. This this Let's just talk about how this girl made like a massive jam hit song out of going to the store yeah. it's just like like i'm just going to the store and it's like she manages to run she managed to run make write a song and run with that yeah. um about going to the store yes. uh so i i think you know um there are a lot of i think canadian artists who are unfairly who are unfairly Canadian artists who I think are uh, lifted by their mediocrity due to the Canadian uh, radio regulations that you have to pay, play 15%, I think, of right. Canadian content every 60 minutes. Right. But radio stations refuse to play Carly Rae Jepsen. Right. Um, wow. Instead of wasting time on, I don't know, Headley or something, you can waste time on, you can use that, that, that you know, valuable Canadian content That's on... Right. on um, Carly Rae Jepsen. Yeah, stop yeah. wasting time playing J. Cole. Play more Carly Rae Jepsen. <laughs> that would be dope. <laughs> I, I respect it. I'm actually, I'm, I'm more waiting for like a Carly Rae Jepsen, Childish Gambino type. Like, type, type, type collaboration. Type collab. That's um, <laughs> do you think that can, do you think that that's feasible? Yeah, I mean, Carly Rae Jepsen did a collab with uh, Lily Ashi, I think, uh, oh, for yeah. Target. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh I mean, maybe maybe a Carly Jepsen like Chance the Rapper thing might be more realistic yeah. than um, Childish Gambino. But like, I just like I'm. But who who would have thought Lincoln Park and Jay Z would have? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> would have would have would have together. So, um, <laughs> sky's the limit. Sky. Open possibility. Sky's the limit. It's very true. Yeah. It's very true. Chance the Rapper was it just last night or was it just today that he uh, he announced that he's. Uh, was it an investment or a donation? He donated uh, one million dollars to Chicago public schools because the state and city are, and like woefully funding public schools. Yeah. Uh, my hot take is abolish private schools and just make everyone go to public school. Swag. That is that's Cheers. I I believe that healthcare and um, school. First of all, what he did was great, yeah. but it's kind of ridiculous that he we expect celebrity. We need celebrities to that's go right. and pay for for. Yeah. Um, what should be, you know, affordable what should be affordable energy, yeah. and a, uh, a good education for, for all people in Chicago. Yeah. It's it's ridiculous that we need to raise money for people to send water bottles into Flint, Michigan, yeah. when there should the state should provide, you know, clean drinking water. Clean drinking right? water. The, we, the West, in the West, we're like, oh, we're such great people. <laughs> and those brown people in those countries, they don't know anything, bomb the shit out of them. Yeah. Um, we Yet, you know, we don't have clean drinking water in Flint. And in Canada, we can't really raise our heads oh, high man. because there are 150 uh, Abri- indigenous reservations in this country that are they're on boil water advisories um my thing is things like healthcare, things like um education i told a very strong line that there should not be any sort of private option because yeah. if rich people are forced to use the same services um then the services will magically improve yeah. <laughs> who thought who would have yeah. thought right <laughs> um but um i think you know look i want to make a lot of money uh um 
ethically, uh, though there is no ethic, uh, there is no ethical consumption in capitalism. <laughs> yeah. um, but I, I want to, you know, I'm not opposed to making a lot of money, especially if I can like write books and make money. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, inshallah, one day yeah. I'll drop the inshallah there. Amen. Um, the, but what I will say is that let's say you know um, I have a lot of money and then I have a family or whatever. I I don't think it's fair for people who have a lot of money. To then unfairly give their children a, a, like a, like a, you know, a foot up over by, over by everybody else um, by sending them to a better school. From a personal perspective, it makes sense, right? I would. I'm not gonna say judge a rich. Well, rich we people are. do a yeah, lot yeah, of bad things. But like people. I, but I do. I can't say that I don't understand the perspective of say like a upper middle class person who wants to send their child to a private school. Um, just from the parent, I want the best for my child, right? But from a societal perspective, it's totally you know immoral to have those types of standards. People should not be able to buy a better quality of education than based on their wealth. Uh, I think that's a simple enough principle. And you know if it applies, to, if it can apply to healthcare, as it, it comes down to what you see as a right, yeah. and you should not be able to pay for better rights, yeah. right? Yeah. So. Um, if we see healthcare as a right, and in Canada we only have a public healthcare system, if we see education as a right, which you know we're we're kind of wishy-washy on that, we're like, okay, you can you can have a subpar public education, but then if you want to go to go to the high stuff that's necessary, you gotta pay the big bucks. Yeah, um, but if we want to see those things as rights, then um, you know we can't have a system where people are like, okay, you can have your basic rights for the. F- the, you can have the, the basic level. Yeah. It's like basic cable. Yeah. You can have your basic ra- basic educational rights for a small payment of zero dollars in yeah. your taxes, or not well, not in your taxes, but zero dollars. Or you could upgrade to the premium, like yeah. ultra That's right. level, and pay twenty thousand dollars a year in tuition. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, yeah, I mean, I think the evolution of uh, healthcare and educate access to healthcare and education should be. The same it should follow the same growth as like cell phone plans. Like you think about how much, how little someone could pay for like unlimited data and unlimited texting now compared to maybe like ten years ago. I mean, same or thing. How much? Or yeah, or how yeah, much? Oh yeah. my goodness, that's, that's a yeah, wild dream. Same kind of deal, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, speaking of, you know, your kind of point of view, um, you know, at what point in your life? Obviously, you said you know going to U of T was a place where yeah. kind of uh, kickstarted a, a lot of your your engagement. Yeah. Um, was there a point in time where, where you were really comfortable and kind of saying like, this, this is my, like, these are my beliefs. These are, these are kind of where they lie. I mean, did, did you also find yourself at a point where you were like, wow, this is a lot of information that I'm kind of learning a lot mm. of truths that I'm yeah. learning right now. And I, you know, I don't know how to, to figure out what speaks to me the most. Yeah. I think, um, so I think you're, yeah, I think if I'm understanding correctly, asking about like the development of my views yeah, and stuff. Yeah, absolutely. yeah, okay. So, um, I mean, it's a it's a learning process, and I was uh, when I was in first year, I think I was. I mean, I was a center left person. So to put it into context, I was someone who was like upset the NDP had a sweep in 2011. That's how much of a, <laughs> how much of a douche I was. Yeah. But um, in uh, as I like in 2011. Like sh- um, apologies to the liberal listeners of the podcast. <laughs> hey, um, uh, I was once one of you. Um, <laughs> when when I went to university and when I went, I started. You know, my first semester, I 
all comes back to writing. When my first semester, I was in school. Uh, I was just, you know, living, just doing study. Well, not studying, uh, pretending to study. Yeah. Um, just doing life science stuff. And then I saw the UFD student newspaper, and I'm like, oh, that's cool. And I started, started covering, like, student politics and stuff. I don't so you, you were writing for them? Yes, okay. I, I was writing comment about how messed up everything was and how racist people were. Um, and, you know, never cover student politics. But in my <laughs> case, in my case, what it did is it gave me avenues to uh, to meet people and right. uh, to, you know, um, to meet other people who would then, like, kind of mentor me and kind of steer me in different directions and kind of be like, hey, you should join the Students' Union. And then in 2012, I don't know if people remember, there was a massive uh, student strike in Quebec. And because of that, I was just like, oh, that's so rad. I want to... Uh, I, I want to gain on that. So I joined the Students' Union. Uh, I should add, it's not the main Students' Union of UFT. It's like the Academic Students' Union, but we had the, it was the largest Academic Students' Union in North America. So um, whatever. Uh, <laughs> but just being in, I think, in a political environment with in a Students' Union where those conversations are being had about social justice and, um, you know, equity and what whatnot, uh, it allows you to... To grow and um, to, to explore and really, you know, um, make mistakes. I think one um, unfortunate uh, there there are pros and cons. I think to the sort of um, you know social bubble that we live in uh, as progressives. I think the I I, I was certainly I think the pro, uh, I think the pro is that you know everyone um, there's a lot more information and everyone can can learn and. Uh, really develop their views the the con is that you can't really do that in isolation and so if you express a viewpoint um and it hap- you're still learning and it happens to be you know the wrong the not everyone say wrong but let's say let's say a problematic mm-hmm. the, uh, most overused word <laughs> the problematic view um there people there's not really much uh, I find uh, room for people to grow. I think we expect people to wake up from the womb, woke and everything. And um, certainly I, that wasn't the case for me. People made room for me to, to you know, to um, grow as a person and to be like, hey, that, that view is actually kind of fucked up or like, actually, this is why you're wrong. Or, um, and, you know, for me, it was a, a four-year... Um, four-year, I guess, growth period, and I'm still growing. And I think some people ask why, you know, my perspectives are kind of both, like, nuanced, but also, um, like, like very unapologetic in what they say. Uh, I say two things. Number one, um, there are many statuses that I write on Facebook that I yeah. just that I also delete within five, <laughs> five minutes because I'm like, hmm, not, I don't know who or what no people will react to this. Yeah. Um, but also, I think, you know, that just comes from kind of figuring out your having confidence in your views and, again, like figuring out yourself. And that takes a long time. I think there's a there's a big focus on um, having to know everything, uh, yeah. having to know everything overnight. And I think that the problem is that fundamentally comes from a view of you're trying to impress other people and you're trying to, you know, at- attain the standard of, like, wokeness that's... Um, it's like a badge of honor or like um and the, it's very implicit too right because if if we we the the kind of reactions people get is like very it's very judgmental um and so you just naturally say i want to avoid being called out or i want to avoid you know um 
saying the wrong thing as opposed to I want to learn this stuff because I don't want to be a shitty person. I want to be a well-informed, good person. Mm-hmm. And I think the, uh, the social constraints kind of make that difficult. Uh, but I think people just have to remind themselves that it's, a, it's not everyone can get it in a day. Yeah. Uh, certainly I can't. Certainly I'm still learning. Um, and that, you know, ultimately you, you will fuck up. But um, it only matters what your intentions are. And if your intention is, you know, to be a better person and just, like, be a more educated, uh, be, be, a, be a more educated person who can, you know, walk through life with more uh, perspective, yeah. um, which will make your interactions with people a whole lot better. Um, and not to, like, you know, earn praise and not to, like, avoid being criticized or being called out or whatever, uh, then, you know, your your heart, your head is in the right place and you, you can learn a lot more as opposed to, like, learning with the sphere of, you know, like, you know having your behavior, yeah. uh, like, I guess, analyzed. Yeah, absolutely. You see it, like, social media is a massive place for it, kind of like what you said, right? Mm-hmm. It's accessible where you can pound out a piece about how you feel but you know in a, whether it's like five seconds or like a day you can just be like uh, I don't know if I express my words like super well there yeah. I think I might just hide this kind of deal yeah. right? uh, or you, d- you didn't get the the minimum 10 likes and you're yeah. like mm, what, are, what are, are people reading this <laughs> like like check wordpress stats and yeah. like, it's like, it's like I'm not sure but uh, yeah it's uh, you know Exp- uh, escaping spheres of judgment is very difficult yeah. uh, and it's difficult but also necessary in a way because uh, judgment uh, we, we do need someone to judge our work yeah. and judge what we have to say but the, the question is when do we not let it let it inhibit us right mm. um, and in this case in terms of becoming more of a of a um, social justice person is it's just not not being afraid to be to you know be called out even if it's aggressive um, that it's unfortunate that that's the type of scenario that you know some people that that's kind of uh, that's kind of you know pervasive uh, it's you know hopefully ideally there'd be um, you know places for people to learn but I think also um, if you can get to this place where you can understand that you know maybe I said something wrong and I'm willing to learn about it and for my own growth um, then like I said you'll go a lot further uh, just to add just to circle back one thing I don't want to make it sound like um, you know, people reacting a certain way to what people say is a necessarily a negative thing. Yeah. Um, you know, certainly there are times when people are certainly being, you know, overly judgmental, but also there are certainly times when, you know, people may be, you don't know their life experience, they may be genuinely very upset by something that you said that you may not have put much thought into, mm-hmm. right? You might have said something of that you didn't realize was offensive, but might have been deeply offensive to other people. So it's, it's a, it's a, it's about you know, and ultimately with the whole creative thing comes back to like not taking criticism personally. So whether that's of of our what we say, or whether of that's that's of our work, we need to like. It's very difficult, but you have to try to divorce the emotion from it so that you can become not only a better person but a better you know creative person. Mm. Yeah, that's, that's <laughs> a lot of deeps. Yeah, it was, it was a lot of knowledge that, <laughs> that you just speed out. That's perfect. Wow. Uh, something that you just said that is like a highlight for me, I think, is uh, is yeah, uh, is not 
yeah, I'm, I'm in short not taking it personally, but when you, yeah, when you when you say something that ultimately is found offensive by someone and they choose to display their frustration or their anger or disappointment, mm-hmm. um, it's worth kind of understanding or processing like yeah. th- these the words that I've said that have been interpreted or have are offensive to someone could have come from anyone it could have come from a computer like a bot mm-hmm. and being said and still offended this person yeah um and it's worth yeah it's worth separating them being like hey these these are words these are thoughts of mine but they're still malleable mm-hmm. it's it, it's worth me taking back my word apologizing continuing to grow right yeah massive kind of uh part of trying to be a better human yeah but it's the it's a life yeah Yeah. and uh and in terms of the criticism and uh and that kind of battle to to have the kind of discourse that you wanted to was being involved in student politics a place where you were able to do that successfully or or not or you know what was your experience like you know in student politics specifically at university of Toronto? Are you gonna make me relive that? Huh? <laughs> no, I'm just look, I mean, hey, if you don't want to. Do no, no, no. Um, it's it's something that I look back on with, I guess, mixed feelings and bittersweetness because I don't. I, I on the one hand, it was, um, you know. I was spared from much of the negativity, but just being in like a negative culture. So the students' union was a great environment for me, but just in the there's like a I don't know what sort of student government you had at, at Trent. Um. Yeah, we had one one governing body right mm-hmm. the Transcentral Student Association mm-hmm. um, but and then we have like a college or there's a college system at Trent University so there's you know a kind of smaller you know body yeah between or for each of the colleges yeah um, but it's certainly not as large nor as widespread yeah as it would have been at yeah so we have a similar system we have colleges and we have students unions and all that outside. so I mean basically say that my internal environment the, the like sort of family I built for myself was very that was a very great place and a very comfortable place but the I think the whole you know campus politics environment of like other dealing with other presidents dealing with other organizations that was a very negative um, interaction a very uh, something I, that I you know I don't miss um, and so at the same time you know, I look back at student politics and I, I, I can't say that I wouldn't have done it because I developed as a person because of it. I learned so many things and I, I gained experiences that were invaluable yeah. to me uh, as a result of it. Um, I think more than anything, I learned how to understand people um, mm. because you you meet a wide variety of people, each with different views and different opinions. And you know, you know how, you learn how to, you know, understand different people, understanding where they come from, but also know, have confidence of, you know, pushing back when you think, uh, if a push, if you're having a disagreement, um, uh, you know, learning to listen to the other person, but also, you know, learning to, to push back when necessary and be like, actually, this is, this is correct. And in a political environment, that happens a lot, right? We can't have, if, if someone wants to say, well, why are you guys putting out statements on, you know, Black Lives Matter? Why are you guys putting out statements in, in, in support of, um, like, immigrants or in support of people who are, uh, students who are LGBTQ? Um, why are you doing that? 
to me, I would push back and say, like, look, I don't see your opinion as equally valid. <laughs> like, <laughs> we are talking about the lived experiences of, of students, fundamentally. You know, you might see these as political issues, but there are black students on campus who, you know, once they're off campus, live the realities, and even on campus, live the realities of being a black person. Uh, there are Muslim students on campus, you know, who have to deal with Islamophobia, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and so it's really, f- I, th- I think... <laughs> One of, the, one of the frustrations I dealt with. Um, e- though, so it was interesting because during my whole undergrad, society went from, young people in general went from this transformation of kind of being like apathetic to being like super woke. <laughs> and so, um, I was, when I was like in fourth and fifth year, I, fifth year, I would look at these first years coming in and just like, you know, totally like getting it and saying this stuff. And I thought back to when I was in first year and I was just like, well, I wasn't like yeah, it totally went over my head. So that certainly made it easier to like to advocate for these views in the sense that society, or at least young people's society, got a lot less shitty. Um, but um, one thing that, that that would always be frustrating is that you would ha- essentially have people arguing about you know what in my eyes is not not controversial. It's people's you know lives and people's experiences. I would the best way I would phrase it is like I would say, look. You, uh, for some reason, you're f- framing this as like a big political issue, but we're not really saying anything controversial. We're just saying like, uh, don't like commit hate crimes against Muslim people. <laughs> yeah. Hey, you know, the maybe the police, uh, not maybe, but the police shouldn't shoot black people. Or like that. It's it's very simple statements, Basic essentially, concept, right? Yeah. Basic concepts of human rights that people that for some reason become these, these like these very controversial abstract concepts um so dealing with that in student politics was definitely um i think i think uh, a pain because student politics you know um like any politics you deal with a bunch of individuals and you, you deal with drama just like on an ordinary level right and then if your body is a politicized body like mine which is like a students union where you're dealing with these political issues when you're dealing with you know um, like clashes of ideologies, um, that's where you, <laughs> that's where you have an added level of like you know drama. I think every sort of group, or governing group, has drama and interpersonal conflict. It's just add the level of political disagreements into it, and it gets a whole lot worse. Yeah. Madness. I think it's it just wild to me. I mean, I think obviously knowing you and also having you on Facebook to see a lot of the kind of colorful posts that you have to share. A lot of just like, kind of like spooky sometimes. Just seeing some of the things you write about or just experiences about, you know, other people within student politics in these kind of positions, not willing to, 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 to work with such like a, a level of open mindedness. you know, it's kind of, freaky to me because of course that's what the assumption is is like oh all of these people who are in student politics are here to make a change of some kind right yeah um and did you find that there were ulterior motives for i don't want to generalize and say many or most or all but did you find that there there were ulterior motives for people in student politics i mean for for sure i mean like it doesn't have to be student politics right you could be joining a club there are definitely people who are there just to like pad resumes right pad resumes um and they're frustrating and then there are people who um you know have 
there are people who have different political agendas and people who believe, uh, you know, that student government shouldn't be playing a role in sort of dealing with these issues and sort of arguing these points. And then there are people who, like me, who believe that. And what I think was, um, especially now, it manifests differently, is I think the problem is things like racism, things like sexism, things like, you know, transphobia or, like etc they don't manifest themselves in obvious ways right so um which is why like there are some people um who might dis- who might be privileged to dismiss the concept of a microaggression uh, which is like you you know what a microaggression is it's like it's like those um you know when someone like says something in a certain way to you that they are definitely saying that to you because you are brown because of the color of your skin but it's hard to articulate that to people right it's extremely difficult because you can pick up on it and you're like, well, yeah, but they didn't say anything racist to you. But, yeah. you, can, but you can you can pick up on it. You can be like, well, they were treating that person much better. Yeah. Or all of a sudden their like, mood changed when they were interacting with me. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the times it's not, you know, sometimes it, it's explicit even like that, right? Sometimes it's, it's just implicit and it's people, you know, acting on biases that they're not aware of. And so I, the frustrating thing to me is I would deal with people treating me with, you know, a complete double standard that was totally obvious to me. But those people would have, would then point, would, would be like, well, those people would then have people of color who are their friends and be like, well, this person doesn't act like this around us at all the time, right? And, the frustrating thing is when it, it, it's hard to have those discussions when they revolve around personalities. When in actuality they revolve, it's, it's irrelevant who the person is. Yeah. They are enacting a system of bias, and so we have to be able to you know talk about racism, talk about these issues without people taking it so personally. Um, even if you are accused of you know doing something you know thing, because it may not be. Sometimes yeah, you can be an asshole and it'll be explicit, <laughs> right? We live in a time of like where Nazis are yeah. running. Um, <laughs> But other times, and I think this was a challenge in politics, other times, like I said, people might be upset by something that you say and you had no idea that it would set them off. But, um, and they called you a racist or they called you a racist or whatever. Um, and the the human reaction to that is to react defensively, right? So, but it's the thing is to to remember that these issues that it's you are enacting a, a system of bias, and so you you act, you can be a totally good person, you can be a nice person, and still enact be racist. You, uh, perfect example: Ellen, Ellen DeGeneres. Right? She has shared totally some pretty racist memes, but people are like, well, she's a nice person. Yeah, you can be a nice person, but you can also, you know, in, engage in sharing racist imagery and stuff without knowing it. Um, so that was the biggest problem in student politics is that it's not regular. It's like you have, it's like regular politics, but it's also a bunch of students. And it's also like people who are very young, very emotional, and in close proximity to each other, especially with social media. And so when you get like these complex, these, these things arising as they naturally would, um, these problems arising, they kind of spiral out of control without really dealing with the core issue, which is, you know, you said something racist or whatever, because again, people, people don't want to, um, don't want to, you know, understand other perspectives or they don't want to be, they think, oh, I'm, I'm a bad, this person's calling me a bad person because they, they said this to me. And, you know, you may as well, you might as well, you may well be a bad person. But, um, I don't know. I've certainly met some bad people. Um, <laughs> Yo, say their names, we'll find them. <laughs> <laughs> the big scum, like a banana gun. But, um, <laughs> 
there, there, like I said, there may be some, but I think it, it comes back. I think that was the biggest frustration. And yeah. I think, I think to date, it's the same. It's the biggest problem is, like I said, microaggressions, they're very, they're very obvious to you, right? But they're also very hard to articulate, mm. right? So it can be stuff like that. And I think that to me was the biggest challenge in politics is that it's, it's, you want people to understand your perspective and understand what you're going through. But it's not necessarily always the easiest to articulate that. And also articulate it, you know, these are like painful stuff that you're dealing with, right? So you might not always, I always manage to, <coughs> you know, not easy, but I always manage to, you know, um, you know, put my emotion into another place and articulate it in a way <coughs> to the best of my ability. But like when people are dealing with things that are very really emotional and personal to them, that's not always possible. Um, and then that adds to the to the whole misunderstanding. So I think that was the biggest um, problem in student politics is that it, you know it's much like interactions in real life. It, yeah. it interplays with uh, systems of oppression. Mm. <coughs> Excuse me. No, you're doing all right, man. Mm-hmm. I uh, I realize we've asked you a whole lot of questions here. I appreciate you keeping up with us here. I mean, we're making our slowly trying to keep yeah. up ourselves because yeah. <laughs> this is uh, this is a lot. Did you need me to slow down? No, man. Like, no, this no, is no. great. This is seriously super great. Uh, Something I want to get into is our soup it up bit. Yes. Sponsored by uh, Campbell yeah. Soup. Mm-hmm. Um, good soup. Yeah. It's, it's pretty good soup. Yeah. yeah. No, it's Donald Trump was sitting next to, he was in a panel with Campbell Soup. And she's like, and, and the person was introducing himself. I'm like, I'm the CEO of Campbell Soup. And then he just turns around and it's like, good soup. Oh. <laughs> we don't bang with them anymore. <laughs> we don't need that sponsorship. <laughs> we don't like his soup. Yeah. Mr. Noodles holler at Mr. Noodles, Knorr, where you at? Mm. Come for Knorr, whoa. <laughs> yeah, I don't, do, they mix, do they mix do they mix soup or do they just make like, uh, Some bougie food. shit, Chris. Yo, like, you're, you're I work sh- in the kitchen <laughs> now, so I, I just <laughs> know about Knorr, you know? Yeah, you're, you're shopping at the high-end lovelars. Oh, man, yeah. you know me. You know what, actually, yeah. when I was in British Columbia a couple of summers ago, they had Knorr at the dollar store because mm. that was the only place I was buying hey. my goods from, so... Really? Yeah, on the low. Yeah, you know the struggle. Or it could have it could have been Knorr with a C rather than mm. K. I don't know. I wasn't looking closely. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Same shit. Yeah. Like moral matter. moral of the story is you can find Krish at any Whole Foods every <laughs> yeah. Saturday morning. So I'm being ousted here, guys. This is a lie. <laughs> uh, uh, I do work with people who really like uh, Whole Foods. Uh, supposedly their artisanal uh, sandwiches are <laughs> very special. Naveka, I know you like artisanal goods. <laughs> I uh, prefer to. <laughs> Enjoy or indulge in artisanal cheeses and all artisanal things because artisanal is a nice word to say. Do you know what is the most artisanal of foods, though? And I think this is something that we really need to get into. What is it? It's, it's Popeyes. It's probably the most artisanal food out on the market right now. It's probably the only place I want to eat for the next 10 to 35 years, depending on how long my. Popeye's only diet is going to let me live, you know? Uh, but I recently yeah. found out that Burger King has now bought out Popeye's. Is that yeah, a thing? Yeah, Burger Well, here's the thing. So Burger King, to avoid American taxes, uh, moved to Oakville. So they bought Tim Hortons, and they're like, we're going to move to Oakville. So we're a Canadian company now. Um, so they're called Restaurant Brands International. And... Um, they bought Popeyes recently, uh, and my fear is, and my hope is, don't touch Popeyes, Burger King. Don't you do keep it. inventing stupid things like grilled dogs and stuff, yeah. but like, keep your actually shout out to Burger King because they keep me a lot. They keep me. They come clutch with the two dollars for two burgers for five dollars. This is true. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's um, a deal. That's a super deal. Especially me 
with being only eating halal, I can only eat fish or right. veggie, and right. they, they give big fish for two to five. It's true. So shout out to Burger King. McDonald's is overpriced. Um, <laughs> but um, what was they saying? Oh, Popeyes. Yeah, yeah Popeyes. I love Popeyes. Popeyes. There was a po- there was so there was like a Popeyes. At college in Spadina <laughs> that I went to like I know five exactly years, which one you're talking about. Five years. Yeah, it's actually right next to a Burger yeah. King. That's, the, that's how convenient that works convenient, out for them. Yeah, um, and so that was my go-to place for, you know, all things a- chicken. Every meal, breakfast yeah, and dinner. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, it was great. I tried to, whenever I wanted to treat myself, just get some Popeyes. But then occasionally some people would get food poisoning and then I'd be like, I'm <laughs> 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 I'm like okay, I I I I'll, I'll take a break from. I want to support, but now, yeah. <laughs> um, but also no. I mean, people don't know that they're secretly supporting Sharia law when they buy Popeyes because like really? yeah, and uh, no, um, <laughs> <laughs> um, Popeyes is owned by they're mostly owned by all Muslim uh, business owners, um, really? and which is why the entire chicken supply is halal, halal which is why yes. I can which I is can eat it, yeah, which I can eat it. Um, it's also, I mean, there's sort of this informal network in the Muslim community. People, like, know that, okay, Papa is halal, you can it's go halal. to it. Nando's is halal, you can go to it, right? Um, and because these, these institutions, they don't necessarily have a sign on the door that says halal. It's That's more there because there, there are some crazy people who, uh, who would be like, oh, my God. Halal meat. Yeah. What, what what kind of like Muslim wacko invention yeah. is that? Why are you why are you why are you serving me Sharia on a plate? Yeah. Like um, and so that's oh why um, they they kind of rely on these like informal networks. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, actually, speaking of that, I was actually at that protest on Saturday. Yes, that's um, right. But we can talk about that later. No, no, we should get into that right now because okay. that's something I definitely want to talk yeah. about. Bill M one hundred three. Yeah. Okay. Um, and this is like, please, for yeah, for those who may not know about it, from what you understand about the law, it's just a motion. It's, it's not. Motion. So it's not. It's not a. It's not yes. a bill that actually proposes anything, right? It's just like, hey, let's. Do, and then identical motion or what's passed by the end was proposed by the NDP in the fall and passed unanimously. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, Kelly Leach got to put on her. Kelly Leach got to serve her racism, and then yeah. the rest of them have to serve their diet racism. Yeah. Um, and, and so, this was, and this, sorry to cut you yeah, off. The bill was proposed by Ikra Khalid, who is a liberal. Uh, uh, um, is she a, MP? Yeah, she's a liberal MP from Mississauga Streetsville, I think. Okay. Um, so basically, simple bill. It's just like Islamophobia is bad. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> and so you know that upset a lot of people, and they're like, people. "Oh yeah, there was like fifty thousand dollars, fifty thousand dollars, fifty thousand people signed a petition. They're like, we don't want our free speech infringed.'" <laughs> Blah blah blah, right? And they're like, um, they're like, blah 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 blah. We don't like it, and so you know, things come to a climax with uh, the Quebec City massacre was actually pre this motion. It was actually introduced because of that massacre. Um, so after this motion, then you have like you know rebel media, and which is actually which is you know people should realize that that isn't that's. that started out much like Breitbart as like a just a standard right wing lunacy type of right wing um, standard lunacy yeah, yeah standard right wing um, <laughs> standard right wing um, you know just standard right wing stupidity yeah. and then it, it it is slowly like just 
it's remarkable. It's it's blatant white supremacy now. Do you think, do you um, think a lot of that is just like is just for them. It's like we can get these are just like hit points. Like these are places where you can. It's hard to tell, right? Yeah. With someone like Tommy Lahren, Lahren or whatever. I know Tammy, Tammy yeah, whatever. <laughs> Tony <laughs> Lohan. Yeah. Um, someone like her, where there's clearly footage of her, like you know, being on a college show where she's like, actually, global warming does exist. Blah blah. blah. Um, yeah. someone's her, where she's clearly so sensational and just talking talking like at the top of her lungs then yeah there's some you know cash has something I don't know if you've seen the episode of the boondocks where uh, Ann Coulter (laughs) Ann Coulter is like actually no I don't believe any of that shit but like being liberal doesn't pay money (laughs) doesn't pay the bills um But um, so it's hard to tell because. Oh but God. if you look at some of their, court, they have Gavin McInnes, who was the founder of Vice before he became a Nazi, yeah. um, who's on there. They have some of their correspondents openly have like crusader crusader imagery, which is you know white supremacy. Um, and so you know we we do live in a time where we have these sort of outlets of blatant white supremacy. So you know all of these people, they're just like they're, they're, uh, and can. Leaders of the conservative party who are running for the leadership are openly flirting with this type of extremism, um, and so, uh, and in in a way feeding it on, and so you you have the conservative party and these people like you know stirring people's fears up that you know Muslims are gonna, this is the first step of them taking over, right? Like they, they no so oh like and so then you had the protest at the Toronto mosque. I'm not sure if you you saw that, sure. and so. Um, some woman went went down and was like, "Hey, like, what are you guys protesting about?" It's like, "Oh, we're protesting of like against this law that wants to limit our free speech." It's like, "Well, you know, it's just it doesn't actually say that." And like, what about you know anti-Semitism? Isn't that we want to be able to protest Islam, right? Um, and it's like, okay, what about the like the what about you know anti-Semitism? Are you guys uh, protesting against Jewish people? Um, just an aside, you know, there's also massive anti-Semitism going on. The JCC, I you know, Lawrence Spadina just was evacuated today because of a bomb threat. Really? Um, yeah, this morning. Um, oh l- luckily, like, nothing happened. Um, but it's following a similar trend in the U.S. of JCCs being attacked. So anti-Semitism is a real problem. But, um, so they, they said, you know, are you against criticism? Are you against anti-Semitism? They're like, no, just Muslim people. They're, just, they're, like, they're like, this is how it, this is, this is how it starts. Because she's like, so the person's like, well, I know Muslim people and they're very nice. And they're like, oh, well, this that's how, that's how it, this is what they want you to think. Like, first, as they, they come to society and they follow the laws of the land. Then they, after a while, when they've reached critical mass, <laughs> they've, they, they <laughs> then so begin, they, they, they begin, become the Shariafization of Islamicization of Canada and they demand people to convert pay a tax or die <laughs> right and so th- there are people who legitimately believe this kind of shit and i was the i was like mm, like mm, i've never heard this at the monthly muslim meetings <laughs> yeah the monthly muslim meetings is like who keeps parking their car wrong <laughs> at the mosque like stop like thinking like two servings who keeps <laughs> taking my shoes after after um Fairs. Those are the hot issues, hot button issues. That's the real radicalization problem in this song. The 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 problem of people taking other way. Put your goddamn initials on the same pair of Skechers. It's cool if you Uh. have the same pair. Just put your goddamn initials at the bottom so you know which size ten pair of shape ups is yours. (laughs) We're crying out loud. So um, basically, like you know, I'm just like, "Mm," like. But these people legitimately, um, you know, believe this kind of stuff. And there's a very, very um, 
you know, it's eerily similar um, to if you go back and watch propaganda of the of Nazi Germany of how they talked about Jewish people. They talked about them, you know, coming and in, coming to, into their countries and having a lot of babies. They use analogies of like rats. They said they spread like rats. They and then they they said they'll shave their beards and assimilate in society just to gain your trust before the boom 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 they'll they'll take over. All right. So this might. Um, this might all seem very, you know, people might not take that seriously, but it's actually very, um, it's very easy for people to resort to this type of language when it's very easy to people. It's very easy for human beings to dehumanize each other, um, which is why it's very, very important to be aware of that stuff. Um, and so once a person falls into that trap, then you can say anything about them. You can actually call for their extermination and call for um, sort of things. So basically, long story short, Saturday, there's a these people called, they're called the... And in the meantime, like there's a bomb threat called in co- onto Concordia because of a Muslim whatever yes, students association event, and so Saturday comes, and so the they were holding they kind of thing they call like the concerned citizens of Canada. Concerned citizens. Yeah, whatever. I don't know. Citizens. Whenever a group uses citizens, that's a, a clear dog whistle because. Um, <laughs> Uh, there used to be the White Citizens Council or the Conservative Citizens Council in the United States which is essentially a white supremacist group citizens mm. yeah citizens right <laughs> it's, and the key in citizens Cold is it's, it's, it's implied of who is a citizen right yeah. citizens right. certain people right, right. so yeah. um, not, not all citizens right 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 um, so yeah we were having I went and we were having the rally and it was really good and then all of a sudden like around 12 I was looking around I'm like where are those people uh, right? Where are they? And then, you know, all of a sudden at 12 o'clock, I see a bunch of white people with beards, um, like from our side, the p- protesting, like running to the other side. And those people had shown up. And so the police formed a barrier, and like all of a sudden, they were like, there was like people saying, go home, Nazi scum, and like chanting all of that other stuff. And uh, the racist people in the middle, um, spiraling their, they're like, they're, um, idiocy um and there was one guy with a sign who was apparently might have was warned by a police officer because he might be violating his parole um that said oh no islamophobia no rapistophobia no ebola phobia like trying to draw the the comparison that with being afraid of islam is like a totally rational thing to do um and I think what struck me the most, really, it's, it's quite disapp- because I, I ended up getting into an argument with them, is the amount of brown people who were there in that crowd, right? Wow. It, it was only about three or four, but when you consider that the crowd was only about 20 people, five people out of 20 people is quite significant. Um, <coughs> and so, um, you know, it's just, it, it preys on a certain type of, uh, I think, nationalism that... Um, that comes from, like, northern India. Um, right. uh, like, BJP, BJP type politics and stuff. Um, not to label everyone who's from that party or thing, but it's definitely like a unique. Like I, I, I don't think you'll see Tamil people at, the, at these types of protests, um, because that type of like Hindu nationalism doesn't necessarily, you know, resonate in South India. It's a very, um, like it's a very, it's tied to caste and it's tied to like um, ancestry and stuff. Um, but that's not to say that like. This is all like you know that that this that's not to say that it's just because of that, right? Um, but 
there there are brown people in that crowd and so i got into a conversation with them and they were i was walking in they were saying well you know pakistan one person was talking about pakistan and their their uh, treatment of minorities and you know it's an un uncontested fact that religious minorities in pakistan are not treated well um i don't deny that right um and so i'm not and why would i i'm not (laughs) i'm not pakistani um i'll get into that why that's relevant in a second um but he his point was like you know they're gonna these muslim people they always oppress people in their countries minorities in their countries they're gonna do the same here and i I was like hey buddy like i'm from sri lanka muslims are a religious minority in sri lanka um sri lanka is a buddhist country um hindus and muslims and christians are oppressed in sri lanka i don't and they're oppressed by a certain the state, but also a certain radical movement within um, within Sri Lanka. But I don't hold that against Buddhism or the people who practice it. I can totally see the two as different. And he, this guy, this man who who's who was from Pakistan, India, had the audacity to tell me that he had a friend who's Sri Lankan and he knows that minorities stir up trouble in Sri Lanka. And I said, buddy, I was born in Sri Lanka. Like, are you actually explaining Sri Lanka to me? <laughs> Um, and then in the meanwhile, in the corner, there's the, the someone like telling me to quiet down. I'm just like, and I was the only brown person like confronting these people. And I was like, no, I'm going to get a word in. And then it was most disheartening is you have an older uncle who's like 60 something and seeing like an older person spewing this type of vitriol. And I, he was saying, oh, don't trust Muslims. They're, um, you know, they're, they're, they just want to kill you all, blah, blah, blah. not kill you, but they just want to, you know, to take over. And I said, you know, like I said it just now, I, I didn't hear that I'm Muslim. Like, I've never heard this before. Yeah. Like, why why, this, why why, do you knew something, know something that I don't know? Yeah. Right? That concerns me. Yeah. And it's, I'm being left out somehow. Yeah. Um, and he said, you know, no, I have Muslim friends too. I was like, I love how it always comes out. I have friends. Right? I have Muslim friends too. And, um, you know, but they're educated and they realize the majority of Muslim people are actually bad people who want to do bad things. And the thing is, these people spew on like adulterated bigotry, but there's still such a defense for, for them to call themselves racist. They're like, no, we're not racist. We, we, we have black friends. We have these friends, right? Yeah. There's always, they, that word has such a, like, a, like a, that's the ultimate, yeah. The they, ultimate jab, right? It's also why they don't want to be called Nazis, right? They, 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 they are, but they don't want to call themselves that. And the sad thing is these um, about these brown people is that they don't realize is that Islamophobia is not a Muslim, doesn't manifest itself in sort of a Muslim kind of target. In, in the United States, four Indian Americans who have not, who are not Muslim, who are Sikh and Hindu, were shot to death over a span of two or three weeks, right? Islamophobia does not manifest itself in I see a Muslim. It's, it manifests itself as I see a brown person, right? And so it's not in a brown person's best interest to be like, well, I'm a good brown person and they're the bad brown people <laughs> and like somehow people be able to tell with like their good brown, bad brown vision or whatever. Yeah. Um, and so it, that, that was really disheartening and I, I can understand where it comes from because I can understand the like unique history of Northern India and can appreciate the sort of you know contentious history between Muslims and Hindus in that area, but at the same time, it's also like uh, these people are clearly you know joining up with people, white supremacists, and white supremacists were there. Soldiers of o- Odin were there with their like their you know. It's something to see that. It's really something to see in real life. It's it, it, it's quite jarring um, with their like patches and everything. And yeah. these people are you know are, are aligning with these people who do, you know absolutely do not have their you know do not care for their brownness um 
And so that was concerning. Like it, it's. It, I always knew that like, like brown people are susceptible to this type of you know rhetoric, but um, to see just like the proportion of brown people to the rest of the white people was concerning. I will say this about like white supremacists is. Um, there is something about internalizing white supremacy that it must take a toll on your body because man, those people, you can identify white supremacists. I could identify who was the white supremacist in that crowd by just looking at their face and telling how <laughs> ugly they were. Like, go to any sort of racist, there's a reason why their profiles are all Twitter eggs. Right? Like, they're... Get them. <laughs> get them. Oh my god. No, I mean, like, it's, it's just, I mean, no, also if you look at, like, someone who was a formerly reformed Nazi, man, their skin looks so much clearer now that they're not a Nazi. Like, they're, I, I think it must be, like, God's punishment for, for being a Nazi. Like, or, like, some sort of, like, I don't know, your immune system turns on you. It's like, ah, uh, we're defending a fucking Nazi. So, um, but they're, like, I mean, it's, it has always been, like, a, like, a constant in my life. No matter what changes, Nazis will always be ugly. So, um, that's that's something like that's, that's something that I've constantly noticed. Oh I've yet gosh. to see I've yet to see, see a Nazi who is like you know at the at best they're like you know decent looking, <laughs> um, but I've yet to see like you know uh, a nice looking Nazi. All, yeah, all Nazis are trash looking. They look like trash bags. That's, yeah, that's actual fact. Um, yeah, it is. That's a quote, <laughs> a direct quote from yourself. Yeah, which is a great way. To, to lead that bit which is uh, all Nazis are <laughs> ugly pretty bad yeah uh, they look terrible <laughs> um, real quick though you you covered it all mm-hmm. but I just wanted to finish up the soup it up bit because a friend yes, of ours I won't I won't name his he, just, he told me not to okay. to put out his name not but miss. he had an experience in Orangeville yes. Ontario yes so he was driving with his dad mm-hmm. to look into purchasing a car from yeah. a guy in Orangeville. So he's driving on the road, whatever. Uh, a woman, a white woman, mm-hmm. which I, I named her race because it comes into place later on. <sighs> so bad. Yeah. These, uh, How dare you say the word? These pesky white people. <laughs> yeah. Uh, hey, we live in a time <laughs> when people, you know, I say white. Yeah, even white people get you, you gotta censor that afterwards yeah it's like, gonna put, be bleeped put, out put the bleep out yeah. put the bleep so the white woman <laughs> hits him rear ends him from the back of course and they pull over cops get called and my friend gets a ticket for careless driving mm-hmm. now he was hit from the back that's like me walking down the street somebody hitting me in the butt me falling forward and then being like hey walk better next time so, now, this is blatant racism. The cop was white. Woman was white. Yeah. He should not... He should be furious yeah. just by getting hit, you know, in the back. Mm-hmm. But we're not even thinking about a ticket mm-hmm. at this point. And then he gets a ticket. He's placed in the back of a cop car for whatever reason. And on top of this, he has to get a lawyer. Pay the lawyer minimum two grand to meet him at a court in Orangeville on top of that not even in Toronto in Orangeville race on top of race uh, to get rid of this ticket Mm -hmm. so he got a ticket for existing basically for being a brown person in an area outside of Toronto and Durham which we kind of know is a little bit more racist (laughs) than than the areas that we're used to yeah Yeah. it's like uh, it's a white woman and a white cop they're like what are you gonna do about it like um 
No, I mean, I think the best. Like, have you seen Get Out? Yeah, oh, I still am not, man. What? I'm still oh not. Need to go, I worked every, man, I worked every oh. Tuesday. You need to, you need to go. <laughs> past month. You need to go and see yeah, Get Out. I think because a, I think. In a theater as well. Yeah. yeah. It is a. Well, it's also just like it's, it's surreal to be in a theater of white people and be like. Because <laughs> like everyone is supporting, yeah, go black guy. But it's like, it's like, this is a movie about you. Yeah. <laughs> like, you're the, the enemy. Movies, Take yeah. the L. Um, but. Um, no, I mean, I mean, I think that movie covers pretty well how that sort of thing. And this is here's the thing, right? I wrote a piece about I don't know if you remember the the whole. Um, I'm actually doing another radio show this week about this piece. Um, yeah, plugging that. Um, um, it, it was about uh, the woman who sat on the the like the black kids shoot like TTC. feet uh, because he dared put his feet up on the GTC. Um, and so, you know, I said that, look, look, enforcing these types of social codes on transit and saying, don't put your feet on the seats, which, you know, we can all agree that, like, putting your feet on the seats makes them dirty. Um, and you should avoid that. But really just, you know, putting these codes up like they do on the go train, where it's like, don't block the doors, don't put your feet on the seats, blah, 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 blah. Really, just targets a certain group of people, right? You're not going to go up to, a, she wouldn't have gone up to a businessman in a suit and sat on his feet if his feet were on the the chair no she in an empty subway car she chose to approach that black kid and be like how dare this kid like you know put his feet on the transit these seats i'm going to teach him a lesson right and we don't even have to get into the whole racial dynamics of how problematic that is like this white woman telling this black kid i'm going to teach you a lesson um right and but yeah everyone is like the, the amount of racial blindness there is right people are like well yeah she taught him a lesson yeah she, even though she basically assaulted him but yeah she taught him a lesson and that's good and blah 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 even though they they don't you know it's irrelevant whether or not he was putting the her his feet on the seats the relevant question is would she have done that if it was someone else right? and so when we my my point is when you promote these transit social codes uh, and you, you promote a sort of vigilantism that only targets certain people. Be- teenagers are going to be told to shut up. But, you know, people on uh, who, who looks important, who's on the phone, isn't going to be told to shut up. He might get, like, you know, not, like, eye rolls. And so I wrote that, right? I mentioned class, I mentioned race, I mentioned age. People went, like, off. They're like, why do you make everything about race? Mm-hmm. Like... This wasn't a racist issue. This was like a they were both assholes issue and like common thing issue and whatever. And th- that's that's I think the real frustrating thing is that like you know f- for you and I that clear the issue that your friend just went through is clearly a issue of race, right? Clearly the white woman was in the wrong, but a lot of people you know they just don't see it that way and they just they don't see where this ty- this type of privilege manifests. They're like, well, they think of privilege as in, well, you know. Again, they, people think this is a problem. People think of racism as explicit racism, right? And even then, people are like, ha, huh, explicit racism, well, that's bad. But then it's like, a black person shouted at me. Oh, my God. Right? Um, I've got to do something about this right now. Yeah, and, um, you know, that whole, like, social code stuff, right? That may seem, um, for me, it was obvious. And that might seem like, you know totally innocent for some people but it's interactions like that that led to like Trayvon Martin being shot mm-hmm. by George Zimmerman because he's like there is this kid who is a troublemaker in my neighborhood breaking a rule what, which was walking right doesn't does it belong there um, I'm gonna shoot him right and so people just see racism as you know me having an 
un uh like just like hatred for brown people hatred for black people right when you can completely be racist um and do racist things while being a perfectly nice person and like have people of friends who are people of color and have um you know totally normal interactions in one sense but then to be a total like you know dick in another in another interaction like with that like that thing the fact is it's not obvious right it's these types of interactions are never and that's the problem we're learning to think of it here's the thing finage right finage black history how we taught how we taught black history we taught that was in the past and we all live in a post-racial society right it is kind of ridiculous that we learn about concepts of privilege some of us learn about concepts of privilege in university these are interactions that affect how we go through our lives and we only learn them in university at age 18. This is something that needs to be taught in schools. But in schools, we're taught to live in a post-racial society. And if we're taught in post-racial society that racism is the exception, right? It is this extreme thing that manifests itself in an extreme way, then interactions like that, well, they can't be racist. Yeah. They, like, no, they can't. The, the, that person must be in the wrong, right? And so that's the problem. Is racism is a such a, not just racism, sexism, everything, is such a large encompassing thing that no, most people don't grasp, don't, don't know how to grasp. And so, you know, things like that that seem obvious to us, well, they'd be like, well, your friend must have done something wrong. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, they, they find ways to, to blame that person. Um, and so th- I think that's the most frustrating thing about being a person of color, is that you see you see these obvious, like, ways of being treated different. Like, e- even just in the store. Like, if a cashier doesn't give you attention, but they give someone else attention, or a storekeeper gives you attention, doesn't give someone else attention. Those are obvious things to you. But, you know, they may be like, oh, people love making excuses. They're like, oh, they may be, you know, um, they may be busy or whatever. And I, for me, you know, um, a, a large part of it is like we're not equipped with language and we're not equipped with the way of you know dealing with uh, we're not equipped with ways to deal with this stuff right which is why even you know a lot of um, people of color a lot of brown people study science when you're in science you're not really exposed to these types of ideas which is why you again you get the phenomenon of in a common thread of brown people being like a brown person being like well well that's not racist at all like I'm a brown person, right? <laughs> Look at my cover picture. Um, because they're not, they're not dealing with, to, to equip, they're not dealed with, they're not equipped with that right type of, um, you know, knowledge to then contextualize all of that stuff. I went through a whole bunch of experiences growing up. But, you know, if you asked me when I entered university, did you experience racism growing up? I'd be like, no, right? It was only until I learned all that stuff and only the time I, I experienced further stuff, I was able to look back and be like, oh, okay, yeah, actually I did go through a lot of stuff. I just didn't have the proper context to understand it. But because no one also, it's like no one also wants to be like, well, I didn't experience racism, right? No one wants to kind of. It's a it's a difficult thing. To, you don't want to admit that you. It's a hard thing, especially when you're young, to admit that you. Know, I'm actually not equal. Um, but everyone experiences it. It's just that some of us are equipped with the knowledge to deal with it, and some of us aren't. And that's a societal problem, right? It's it is absolutely ridiculous that we do not teach these concepts in school. Um, because we like to pretend that everyone is equal, and it's kind of a scary. People don't want to approach the concept in of telling these kids, like you know, some of you have are deemed more valuable by society than others, 
Uh, people don't want to have that conversation. Um, but it's, 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 we desperately need to, if we're going to tackle any sorts of things like that. Yeah. It just, yeah, I think it starts at a much younger age than we'd like to admit. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, something that you just mentioned is having the vocabulary or having the way to articulate it. And I mean, even just thinking about it now, that's clearly probably the biggest challenge and maybe why it's been so difficult to implement that into education systems. Do you think that's, that's fair to say? Do you think that would be one of the reasons? I mean, besides people just not wanting yeah, to have that conversation. I mean, right? it's not just, it's not, I mean, forget implementing it into educational systems. Our educational systems, especially, you and I saw it at, at the high school that will not be named. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you and I saw completely racist behavior from right. administrators and like, you know, so uh, context, our administrators walked around like the school, like the school was a prison warden, mm-hmm. like the, the schools were prison and they were the wardens. And I swear if you gave them handcuffs, they'd use them. Um, they walked around with these walkie talkies and they they just act all important. And they, there was, uh, I, I saw a few things. I saw this, um, this, this clear mistreatment of of certain students, black mm-hmm. students, black oh, students, yeah. um, you know, being penalized for things that other students wouldn't be. And also just the school having this, or the school's administrators having this urge to call the police for no reason. Oh um, yeah. And so, you know, if I were to go back to my high school, I would be like, and they, if, if I, that's actually one of my things. If I put, I'm a successful alumni, I'll call up my high school and be like, hey, let me come give an inspirational speech to your students and be like, hey, those people are trying to put you down. F them. Yeah. Like, fight the power. Um, the, the fact is, you know, um, a lot of that stuff is built into our educational system in itself we have in the united states it's in the u.s too you have a school to prison pipeline right and so what do we do when schools themselves are like centers of racism right and it's it's not just like teaching racism it's how we have to radically rethink society right if we really want to stop stuff like that we have to be open to you know abolishing prisons and finding different ways to uh to to incarcerate people. It forgets people, not incarcerate, incarcerate means put in prison, um, to, you know, deal with people in the justice system. People, people think this is the way we've always done things, but prisons are a relatively modern concept. Um, and so, especially with rules and laws, right? That's why people think they're very, they're very, uh, equally enforced. And these are, you know, things that, um, that are fair because the law must be fair, right? Um, but you know they they manifest differently for different groups of people, and they are they can sometimes be unfair. So I think you know people have to remember that like being against racism does not just mean being against um, explicit racism. It means like being against uh, or wanting you know rethinking, daring to imagine a society where racism right plays does not exist or plays a lot less of a factor than it does right and to to say that it's in human nature to be racist that well that's a cop out no we can our totally our societies are built on like systems that oppress people right different groups of people indigenous people in the, that right we, they're built on those systems um and there's some people who profit from those systems um so if we we're not even close 
to tackling those issues, right? Right now, we are at a, at a point where we're just like verbally confronting racism yeah. and saying racism is a bad thing. We're not even we're not backing it up with material and concrete demands and concrete. Um, not demands. We're not. There's no backing up of material and concrete action, right? Strategic, structural change. That'll stop. That'll prevent like an officer from giving your friend a ticket when clearly, you know, your friend was rear-ended, right? Um, but th- that's that's that is a huge problem. Is that we we have we think of racism in the past tense, right? Jim Crow. That's it. Past tense, and we don't really have the language or the knowledge to equip it not just white people people of color too which is why you might have frustrating conversations with a cousin or frustrating conversations with a friend who is a person of color right who who you may be like why don't you get this right you experience this too but like i say you need that knowledge and you need that language to put into context things that you've experienced i think that might be the hottest take of all (laughs) there were a lot of hot takes dropped in this podcast that I'm proud of I'm happy yeah. that were said yeah. and uh, we we talked about a lot yeah. I think I think Abdullah rightfully earns the the hottest aka of all Abdullah aka the king of hot takes <laughs> king of hot takes I think after Thanks. this episode he rightfully earned that title thank Thanks. you so much no for, problem for joining us today. no problem this is a a big episode I'll speak for myself I'm sure I can speak for Vivek when I say we learned quite a lot not only about the ways that we think but uh, the way that we the look at social systems, forms of oppression, and also, you know, just the way that we, we try and pursue our creative endeavors as well. I think uh, we learned quite a little bit about, about persevering mm-hmm. and, you know, choosing to, to stay the course. Yeah. Um, it's a long conversation. Yeah. yeah. But it's, it's good. It's good. Yeah. I think yeah. it's super good. And uh, I'm glad you're willing to do all this without a glass of water in front of you either. No problem. <laughs> um, lately, we've been trying to end our, our podcast with, uh, we say one word, mm-hmm. but it's never turned into one word. It ends up just being like a like a statement of motivation. Oh, uh, yeah. So I'm going to start with the vague, and I'll say, Vig, what's the word, man? What's your word at the end of this episode? I can't say one word, so I'm going to say two words. Okay. Keep going. That's a great set of words. Yeah. I think uh, my words, as always, <laughs> uh, aren't worth mentioning because uh, <laughs> uh, they're non-existent. That's why. Oh, well, okay. uh, So I'm going to take a little pass on this one. Uh, I'm yeah. going to let the king of hot takes uh, end on uh, the final word here. I think your words, Chris, uh, take the L. <laughs> <laughs> no, but uh, yeah, my, words, I think, my, my words, I think, would be unapologetic. Be unapologetic. Uh, whether the, and I'm going to add context to it. Whether that's being unapologetic and pursuing your, you know, your craft and your skills and what you want to do in life, or being unapologetic and you know being who you are and you're embracing your identity and you know pushing for, or being unapologetic and pushing for justice and um, what's right. Um, be confident and unapologetic and you know what you stand for and what you have to offer. And you know, inshallah, things will work out. King of hot takes. Yeah. Signing out. Episode 16. High top flip flops. I'm Krish. I'm the fake. I'm Abdullah. Have a good night. Forever. Bye. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>
Space. 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 Space.